everyone, and welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. I'm your host, Sarah Sin, tackling horror movies, peeling back the layers, and taking a deeper dive into them. Again on the show, I don't just discuss my love of horror movies. I like to bring in the aspect and perspective of horror history, how horror movies tend to reflect society's fears. And since I am a psychology major, I like to bring this aspect and perspective in as well and see how the horror movie I'm focusing on reflects psychology and mental health in any way. So I will apologize ahead of time. Um, you can definitely tell that there's a difference in my voice. I definitely sound very stuffed up because I am. I'm catching my breath a lot more often and it has nothing to do with my asthma this time. It's because after two and a half years of trying to be careful, I finally caught COVID. And I, it was Thursday morning, I tested positive and had to call my boss. And even though it's been a couple of days, it's been a really, I'll admit it, very shitty couple of days. It's just, I don't know how else to say it, but it's been so emotionally hard on me. And the first thought I was, was, was I might infect my babies. So two and a half years, my room has been the only room that's never been infected with COVID. And apparently I'm the one who gets infected and, and potentially exposed all the babies in my classroom. And that hit me really hard. I was more worried about them than myself. And then I'm more worried about my daughter than myself. Luckily, she's been testing negative. She hasn't caught it. But me having to isolate pretty much in my room has been really hard on her because I'm a single mom. And I don't, you know, it's pretty much just us all the time. You know, we live with my dad and he helps out, but it's really just the two of us. And she's had to you know, be away from me. And that's hard on her. And the truth is it's been hard on me too. It hasn't been easy. And my dad's the one who's been taking over and pretty much taking care of her because the truth is I'm alone. Like catching COVID has made me realize how alone I really am. And I'm sorry. It's emotional to think about, but I don't care about crying in front of you guys. I don't care that I get upset sometimes. I don't care about telling you my personal life because I want to relate to you guys as much as possible. And, you know, if anyone else is feeling this way, you know, you're not alone. But I will say that catching COVID has made me realize how alone I really am. And it's been hard. You know, I'm a single mom and I can't be around my daughter. You know, I don't really have any friends here. So I have no one talking to me or really messaging me, asking me if I need anything. I don't have a boyfriend or anything. So I'm literally just in my room all day alone and it sucks and I already battled depression and this has made it worse like I said it's just utter loneliness and it's not fun to feel this way and it sucks so like I said having COVID has been emotionally draining on me because it made me realize how alone I really really am and that sucks so if anyone feels that way. You're not alone. I feel the same. Always reach out to me. So that's what I've been dealing with for the past few days. And, you know, I know I'll get better. I'll know I'll start to feel better. But right now it's such a rut I'm in. It just, it really sucks to feel so alone in this world, you know, being confined to my room. And it, I'm so bored too. Like, I'm just bored. Like, I'm trying to keep myself busy, but I can only do so much right now. So anyways, you know, sorry. Like I said, I try to be as relatable as possible to you guys. I don't mind crying in front of you guys. I don't mind telling you 
about my life because this is me. This is who I am. And the whole point of this show is to, I don't know, just relate to you guys and talk about, I feel like I'm talking about horror movies with you guys. And I feel like I'm actually talking to someone and having a conversation with them, even though it's just me, you know, talking for 45 minutes, but it's still an escapism that I need. So anyways, as you all know, a new month means a new theme. And since June is pride month, I will be focusing on LGBTQ horror movies this month with the theme of Becoming your true self, it's Pride Month, be proud of who you are. I got some great movies to cover this month, I'm really excited. I have a special guest lined up for this month, so I'm excited about that. I'm so happy to be covering LGBTQ horror movies for this month, for Pride Month, because there's a lot of great LGBTQ horror movies out there. So all you gotta do is go on the internet and just put LGBTQ horror movies and a bunch of pop up if you have Shudder. In the collections section, there's a whole section for it. So you can find a lot of really good movies. And I'm really excited because I heard that there's a new documentary coming out on Shudder called Queer for Fear. Um, I don't know when it's coming out, but I can't wait for it to come out because it sounds awesome. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about this month. I'm really excited to be covering LGBTQ horror movies for Pride Month. So with that said... Moving on to the first LGBTQ horror movie for the theme of Becoming Your True Self, It's Pride Month, Be Proud of Who You Are, with 2020's Monstrous, directed by Bruce Wemple, starring Anna Shields as Sylvia, Rachel Finnegar as Alex, Grant Schumacher as Jamie, Hannah McKenchney as Molly, Catherine Daddario as Haley. So for horror and history, this movie heavily focuses on like online predators, the dangers of meeting people that you meet online, how and how these people actually choose their prey. So it definitely focuses on, like I said, online predators and the dangers of meeting in person someone you met online kind of idea. Um, it also focuses on like how you can't trust everyone you meet, especially like through the internet. Like I said, like some people are genuine, but there are many people with hidden agendas from online, like I said, online predators, and you don't really know the person in a way and how you can't always trust people because they're not always who they say they are. So that's another thing. A big theme is like, you can't trust everyone you meet and not everyone is who they say they are. It also focuses on, you never know what's out there in the world. Like you really never know what's truly out there, both in the wilderness and online, like with humans. So it definitely is another focus on that. For horror and history, it's like, you never know what's out there, you know, you never know what's really out there it can be anything. It'd be people you meet from the internet, the wilderness, anything. So psychology and mental health, we got guilt, especially survivor's guilt, past trauma, depression, antisocial personality disorder with psychopathic or sociopathic tendencies, narcissistic personality disorder, isolation, and loneliness. So what is this movie about? Sylvia and Jamie want to know what happened to their friend Dana, who, after replying to an ad on Craigslist, disappeared in Whitehall, New York, a town known for its Bigfoot sightings and mysterious disappearances of young women. Sylvia and Jamie decide to answer the same ad and meet up with the mysterious Alex. But when Jamie backs out, Sylvia takes it upon herself to continue the mission and find answers to Dana's disappearance. Is Bigfoot to blame for these disappearances? Or is there something more sinister out there a monster more dangerous than Bigfoot. 
Moving on to the subgenre. Now, at first glance, you would think this movie is a creature feature or like a nature horror, but this movie does not fall under either, to be quite honest. You don't see much of the quote monster, and the monster isn't who you think it is. I will admit, this was a hard one to place because it has elements from so many different subgenres. So, if I had to buckle down and pick a subgenre, I would probably put it more under the um, psychological horror subgenre. Because this movie really does, like, fuck with your expectations and is a complete mindfuck once you realize what's really going on. Like, it really is. So, I'm going to go over the definition of psychological horror. Psychological horror. This subgenre may feel the most realistic because it builds the horror by playing on people's fears, anxieties, and phobias. These movies are designed to make the viewer feel as if, quote, this could happen to them. In addition, a big plot point in many of these movies are people slowly going crazy due to a variety of reasons such as isolation and war. These movies tend to focus more on people being the monster over creatures or the supernatural. So this movie heavily focuses on the idea of like online predators, the use of misdirection, preying on people's like generosity and vulnerabilities, never really knowing quote what's out there. And it really makes you ask the question, who's the real monster, man or beast? This movie has a lot going on and I really enjoyed it. I like that it actually wasn't what I expected it to be. So I'm going to go through a few scenes and then explain how it reflects on like online predators, the use of misdirection, preying on people, you know, how you never know what's out there and kind of try to answer the question of who the real monster is. Um, there's probably a couple of scenes that after I go through them, I'll explain just a little bit on them. But for the most part, I'm just going to go through a bunch of scenes and then at the end, tie it all together for you guys, if that makes sense. So the movie actually opens with two girls, which we later find out are named Haley and Alex. And they're going down this back road and they hit something. Then we see like this big shadow standing over the body that has been hit. The girls drive to get away. They get to this secluded cabin. One of the girls actually runs into the cabin and the other one dies. And her face is like severely mauled and clawed by some creature. Then it jumps to like a bunch of YouTube videos about Bigfoot sightings in Whitehall, New York, and how the same area is known for disappearances of young women. And it makes you think like, are these somehow linked together? Like, does Bigfoot have something to do with these mysterious disappearances of these young women kind of thing? So then we're introduced to Sylvia and Jamie. Their friend Dana is one of the missing um, people, like one of the missing girls. And they want to find out what happened to her. Jamie leans more towards um, the idea that Bigfoot is somehow involved. So, Sylvia. Oh my god, how many times have you watched that thing? Jamie. Hmm? We need all the facts that we can get. Did you watch the documentary I sent you? Sylvia. No. Jamie. Hmm? Sylvia. Tomorrow. I promise I'll do it. I just... Can we just chill tonight? Jamie. I need you to listen very closely. Sylvia, here we go. Jamie, oh yeah. March 14th, 2015, a first-hand sighting. Susan Kleins disappeared March 15th. Coincidence? July 7th, 2018, first-hand sighting. Photographic evidence and also a local noise complaint. July 12th, Molly Jenkins disappeared. 
boom, 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 boom. All in the very woods, the sightings occurred. All vanished. It's the Squatch. Sylvia, I said we're not calling it that. Jamie, you know, it's weird because never before was there a reason to believe that it was aggressive. Sasquatch keeps to himself in the woods like a goddamn ghost. I mean, that's why no one can get a good fucking picture of him. Something pissed it off. Sylvia, no, Jamie, come on. Come on. There's no Bigfoot. There's no Squatch. What? Yeah, I know. I know. I agree. There's something weird going on. I think we should just focus on that. Jamie, which brings me to my next point. Come take a look at this. Remember that guy named Alex, the mysterious man who paid Dana to take him to the Anirondacks before she went missing? Well, guess who posted another ad? Sylvia, you're meeting up with Alex? Jamie, more like we are. Sylvia, no. Jamie, hear me out. Sylvia, no. Jesus, you want to meet up with a potential serial killer and go on a road trip with him? What the fuck is wrong with you? Jamie, no, no, no. Listen to me. You won't ever have to be near him, okay? He thinks that I'm a girl, but I'm going to surprise him and then I'll have to let me drive him to the place or it's going to get weird. All I need you to do is be my backup. I need you to drive behind me in case something happens. Dana might still be alive. We're not going to have another chance like this. I need to know what happened or I need to figure it out. She deserves that much. So very quickly before I move on, what I really like about this entire scene is that it foreshadows the entire movie. Like after you watch the movie and you go back to the scene, you realize it's basically telling you the whole movie. You know, I'll go a little more in depth about it later, but it's really interesting to like hear this scene and just think, okay, whatever. Then you watch this movie, you go back to it and say, oh my gosh, this basically told us everything that's going on. So it's actually one of the reasons why I really like this scene. So anyways, moving on. So Sylvia meets up with Alex because Jamie actually gets sick and bails on her and realizes that Alex is actually a girl, not a guy like they thought. Um, And immediately Alex kind of comes off as like slightly shy yet charming. And Sylvia goes along with the plan um, and agrees to drive Alex to the Androdics. Alex, so you always do this? Sylvia, what? Alex, road trip with strangers. Sylvia, oh, first time. Alex, well, I appreciate it. Sylvia, sure. So why the big rush to get to the Anirondacks? Alex, a wedding. Sylvia, congratulations. Alex, oh, I'm a photographer, but you're actually saving me. Um, my ride bailed on me last minute and I need to get there before Monday. So thanks. Sylvia. Oh yeah, it should take like a day and a half, I think. Alex. Yeah. You're still okay sharing a room, right? I mean, if I could afford two, I would, but... Sylvia. No, it's, it's fine. So they do get to the motel and it is one room and one bed. And they have to share this bed and share the room and they are, you know, unpacking our stuff and just talking to each other. Alex, wine? Sylvia, so how deep in the woods are you? Should I know how to fight a bear or... Alex, <laughs> no, the house is great, Um, but honestly, it's kind of isolated. So yeah, study up. Sylvia, wait, seriously? Alex, no, 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 it's fine. Um, there have actually been some disappearances lately, but I mean, as long as you stay out of the woods, you should be good. Sylvia, 
Do you think someone killed them? Alex, no, I think it's more like people got lost, but you never know what's out there, so people are weird. Sylvia, you're right about that. Alex, so what makes you weird? Sylvia, probably a lot of things. What uh makes you weird? Alex, <laughs> you don't want to know. So, um, just a short scene. They're on the road, like they're getting close to their destination, but not quite there, but they're pretty much in the middle of nowhere. Alex, reception's a bitch out here. Sylvia, yeah, I'm getting that. Alex, the GPS doesn't work anymore, but we're getting close enough. I know the way. So Alex takes the keys and she decides to drive since she knows where she's going and the GPS doesn't work. Um, and she starts questioning Sylvia because Sylvia the night before was actually snooping through Alex's bag and found a knife and then claims that she was sleepwalking. Alex, how long have you been sleepwalking? Sylvia, I don't know. Twelve, I guess. Alex, hmm, that's pretty old to start. Sylvia, maybe I was ten. Alex, ten? Twelve or ten? Sylvia, why does it matter? Alex, well, I just think it's pretty weird not to know unless you're lying. Sylvia, I think we should slow down. Alex, I said, are you a liar? Sylvia, we're going too fast. Alex, so you think this is fast? Sylvia, stop it. Alex slams on the brakes. What the fuck is wrong with you? Alex, what's wrong with me? I'm not the one snooping through your shit. Sylvia, I told you I was sleepwalking. Alex grabs the knife that she had stolen. You steal in your sleep too? Sylvia, why do you have that? Alex, I hunt. Where I'm from, everyone has one. Sylvia, what are you doing? Alex, don't like when strangers touch your things? Sylvia, stop it. Alex, why? You have something to hide? Sylvia, okay, okay, I lied. Alex, why? Sylvia, I knew about the disappearances. Alex, what? Sylvia, look, you weren't online anywhere. I just wanted to make sure you were who you said you were. Alex, she shows her ID. Listen, Jamie, I think I should get another ride from here. You can keep the money. I'm just getting a little weird from you. Sylvia, no. Alex, what do you want from me? Sylvia actually leans in and kisses Alex. So then they get to the cabin, Alex's cabin. Alex tells Sylvia that she has a frequency system. The deer hate it. It kind of keeps the wildlife away from her cabin. At this point, actually, Alex and Sylvia has started to get like romantically involved with one another. And it's very obvious that like Sylvia is showing interest in Alex and is starting to care for her. Sylvia, you really aren't bothered by any of the disappearances? Alex, are you seriously bringing that up right now? Sylvia. They just, they all happen so close to here. Alex, I mean, yeah, I don't like it, obviously, but I don't know. I just don't think about it. Why are you so obsessed with it? Sylvia, my name's not Jamie. Alex, what? Sylvia, it's Sylvia. Alex, why do you keep lying to me? Sylvia, I had this friend, Dana, best friend, actually. She's one of the women who disappeared. I had this insane idea that if I came here, I could find out what happened to her. She had answered an ad online asking for a driver to take her here. The same recent one that I responded to. Yours. Alex, you think I killed her? Sylvia, I wasn't sure. 
Alex. And now? Look, I told the cops she drove me here and she left, and I thought that was the end of it. Sylvia. Okay. Alex. I don't like liars. Sylvia. I'm sorry. So later on, Sylvia actually tells Alex a story of how she accidentally killed her little sister. Um, she was smoking one of her mom's cigarettes and she let, lit some candles to try to cover up the smell. She forgot to put one of the candles out. There was a fire and it killed her younger sister. And she hasn't been able to forgive herself for the accident. And then while Sylvia is doing laundry, she finds this like notebook and a picture of one of the missing girls. So she goes to her car because she gets kind of freaked out. So she goes to her car to try to leave, but someone has cut the wire so she can't actually leave. And then she actually sees Bigfoot and runs back to the cabin. Sylvia, you knew about it? Alex, we're safe in here. Sylvia, how? Alex, that ringing you heard earlier? It's an electromagnetic frequency system. That thing can't stand it. Sylvia, the marker's in the driveway. Alex, it's really meant for deer, but that thing hates it. So as long as it's on, we're safe. I'm sorry I didn't tell you. What's wrong? Sylvia, nothing. Alex, you're safe with me. You trust me. Sylvia shakes her head yes. Let's go get a drink. We're not going to sleep tonight. Alex actually does fall asleep on the couch, and Sylvia decides to go down into the basement that's locked. And she finds all these pictures. So it's actually a dark room, sorry. So she goes down in the basement, finds out it's a dark room, and she sees all these pictures of the missing girls, along with a bunch of videotapes um, with a bunch of different names on it. And she watches the one that says Dana on it. Then she finds Molly duct taped and tied up, tells Molly she'll be back when she hears Alex calling to her, and then she goes up to Alex. So when she watched the tapes um, of her friend Dana, she watches her friend Dana get murdered by Alex. And then she finds Molly duct taped, tied up, and then tells her she'll be right back because she hears Alex calling to her. Alex, are you happy you figured it out? Sylvia, what? Alex, what happened to Dana? It's what you came for, right? Sylvia, didn't really make me feel any better. Alex, no? The closure didn't help? Sylvia, not like I thought it would. Alex, I'm sorry. Then Alex kind of goes in for a kiss. Sylvia, I'm really not in the mood. Alex, right. You know, whenever this all ends, I'll be sad to see you go. You're not like the other girls. You're, there's just something heavy about you. Anger. I just feel like I can relate to you. And that doesn't happen often. I can't stand most people. Sylvia, I'm not angry. Alex, well, come on. Sometimes I think I hate myself. Remember? Your words. Sylvia, where are you going? Alex, I'm going to the basement. I need to grab something. Sylvia, what? Alex, what's the problem? So Sylvia, like, goes up to Alex and then, like, directs her up to the bedroom and has Alex follow her up there. Sylvia, so I guess you aren't making it to that wedding, huh? Alex, yeah. Sylvia, must be hard to find work out here. Alex, yeah, I guess. Why? Sylvia, just because there's no service. Alex, hey, what would you have done if you were right? Sylvia, what? Alex, if I was the one killing all those girls, what would you have done? Sylvia, I don't know. It was stupid. Alex, well, you would have done something. Come here. 
And Sylvia sits on the bed next to her. Sylvia, you are so beautiful. Alex just looks at her. Do you think I'm a fucking idiot? So it's at that point we actually find out that, yes, Alex actually is the killer. And now she knows that Sylvia knows that she's the killer. So now I'm going to try to sum up the ending the best I can. <laughs> so basically we find out that what happened in the opening scene, you know, Haley and Alex actually hit Bigfoot's child, which pisses Bigfoot off. So it tries to get to the girls. So like when they drive up to the house, Alex gets in, Alex gets into the house, but Haley doesn't make it. So this is why Alex puts up that frequency system is because it's meant to keep Bigfoot away because Bigfoot is pissed at her because she was in the car that hit the baby Bigfoot. And in the end um, of the movie, Bigfoot actually saves Sylvia from Alex. So Alex is attacking Sylvia. She's like smashing her in the head with a rock. Jamie, after showing up um, at some point in the movie and explains um, Bigfoot basically beat him but didn't kill him. He turns off the frequency system and Bigfoot goes over to Alex and kills her by stomping on her head and then carries Sylvia back to the cabin to Jamie, saving her. Sylvia and Jamie drive home. Bigfoot goes back to the forest. It's actually kind of sad because it's very somber music and you watch Bigfoot walking back to the forest knowing that he doesn't have his child anymore. And it's really, like I said, it's actually really sad and kind of heartbreaking to watch him walk back. You know, he got his revenge killed Alex for killing his baby, but saved Sylvia because he knew she was in trouble because I think in the end, Bigfoot knew she was a killer and then protects Sylvia, saves her, but then goes back to the woods alone. So it is kind of sad to watch. So anyways, what I'm going to do is explain how Alex acts and then try to explain like maybe what she's suffering from. So I'm just going to basically go over Alex and explain her a little more in depth, if that makes sense. So Alex is a serial killer, preying on people's generosity and vulnerabilities. You know, the women are trying to be nice, to give her a ride. Some, I think, are in a very vulnerable state because you realize very um, early in the film that Sylvia is depressed and has a lot of loneliness feeling in her. And because some, I feel like some of these women are like that, like they feel loneliness, they maybe have suffered from depression, that puts them in a very vulnerable state. And then, like, her cabin being in the middle of nowhere puts them in a more vulnerable state than they already are in. So what's happening, really, is that Alex is using the Bigfoot sightings as a way to take the heat off of her. Like, make her less suspicious of being a killer. You know, she kidnaps and murders these women after someone has had a Bigfoot sighting, like a photographic evidence or, like they said, a noise complaint. But after there's, like, significant Bigfoot sighting, you know, something that really grabs the people's attention, making people think Bigfoot has something to do with these disappearances. So, you know, rather than the idea of like, there's a serial killer. So Alex waits for there to be a Bigfoot sighting. And then that's when she kidnaps and murders these people. So that way people start to think that it's Bigfoot that has something to do with these disappearances, not an actual serial killer, if that makes sense. So how does she choose her victims? She places an ad on Craigslist claiming she needs a ride to her cabin that's in the Anirondacks and she'll pay them well, you know, for this ride. A female answers the ad, gives her the ride, and along the way, she gets close to them, whether romantically or platonic, like friends, you know. Anyways, it's implied that she tries to form a connection with these women that give her the ride. And they end up staying at the cabin for at least a little bit. 
Alex is, you know, gaining their trust by, like I said, forming some kind of connection with them. Then she ties them up, messes with them, and then eventually kills them, videotaping the murders and taking pictures of her victims. But when her and Haley were headed to the cabin, they accidentally killed Bigfoot's child, making Alex a target of Bigfoot, and Bigfoot does end up killing Haley that same night. So Alex has to be extra careful now when trying to claim her victims because Bigfoot is basically hunting her now as well. So Alex targets women in their mid to late 20s. She puts an ad on Craigslist asking for a ride to the Anirondacks and plans this around a genuine Bigfoot sighting. So people will think that Bigfoot is related to these disappearances, not someone murdering these women, taking the heat off Alex. So she can basically get away with, you know, being a serial killer. And like I said, taking the heat off of her. So that's basically what's going on in this film. And what you learn is that Alex puts an ad on Craigslist. She targets women in their mid to late 20s. She has them give her a ride. She forms a connection with these people. And then she makes sure to plan the kidnapping and murder around a genuine Bigfoot sighting. So people start to think that it's Bigfoot linked to these disappearances not an actual serial killer that's, you know, taking these women and murdering them. So then I started to think, what's actually going on with Alex? Like, what could be going on in her mind? Like, what does she suffer from? And at one point, she does tell this story about a competition she would have with her family every year. And it's basically who could, um, who could score a deer first, like in hunting season. And her beagle banjo always followed her during the hunt. She would always lose because of Banjo's howling. So she would get close to a deer. Banjo would start to howl, scare the um, deer away. So one year when she was 16, she sees a giant buck. And before Banjo could actually howl and scare the buck, she shoots Banjo and then shoots the buck, making her the winner that year. And she even implies, like, I won. And Sylvia's like, you shot your dog. She's like, I won. Like, that's all she cared about. She didn't care that she killed her dog. She cared about winning. And to me, this shows that she already displayed, like, murderous tendencies. They just escalated from animals to women. You know, animals weren't challenging enough for her, so she decided to move to people and chose women as her victims. So what I believe is that Alex uses the defense mechanism of deflection and suffers from narcissistic personality disorder along with antisocial personality disorder with psychopathic tendencies. So the defense mechanism of deflection. Basically what it means is placing blame on others to take the blame off of them. You know, she claims many times that she doesn't like liars, but she's the one who's lying. She questions everything when Sylvia questions her, like, oh yeah, you think I killed them? She also continues to say that Sylvia is safe with her from Bigfoot when the truth is she's not safe. Bigfoot isn't the monster, she is. I also think that she suffers from some narcissistic personality disorder, which is people who have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive intention and admiration, troubled relationships, and a lack of empathy for others, from Mayo Clinic. She has no empathy at all. She needs all the attention from her victims. Also, she makes them like her, like to really admire her. Like she really does push for that connection to get them to basically fall in love with her, I think, or at least form a very deep connection with her. In a way, I kind of feel like she tries to make it out like she's some big-time photographer, like some important photographer. And she doesn't care at all about all the people that she hurts. Like, it doesn't bother her that she hurts and kills so many people. So 
I definitely think because of those aspects, she definitely suffers from some narcissistic personality disorder. Now, moving on to the whole idea of her having antisocial personality disorder with psychopathic tendencies. So antisocial personality disorder is a mental disorder in which a person consistently shows no regard for right or wrong and ignores the rights and feelings of others. People with antisocial personality disorder tend to antagonize, manipulate, or treat others harshly or with callous indifference. They show no guilt or remorse for their behavior. That's the Mayo Clinic. So why did I choose psychopath over sociopath? So psychopaths, and this is from Very Well Mind, um, pretend to care, display cold-hearted behavior, fail to recognize other people's distress, have relationships that are shallow and fake, maintain a normal life as a cover for their criminal activity, fail to form genuine emotional attachments, may love people in their own way. So sociopaths tend to be more reckless and impulsive. They can't form any emotional attachment, nor can they maintain any kind of normalcy, such as work life or family life. Psychopaths plan their crimes or in case, you know, their murder. So in Alex's case, she actually plans her murders. They choose a victim, stalk them, then kill them. It's planned, premeditated, not impulsive like a sociopath. Psychopaths also can maintain a normal life, you know, while a sociopath cannot. You know, Alex claims to be a photographer and no one suspects her. So she's definitely more of a psychopath because she can form relationships. Um, she does use a normal life as a way to cover up her murderous ways, um, as opposed to sociopaths, like I said, who are reckless and impulsive, have no emotional attachment, and have a harder time maintaining any kind of normalcy. So like I mentioned, this movie really makes you ask the question, who's the real monster? Is it man or beast? Bigfoot did kill Haley, but it was out of anger for killing the child. In my opinion, pure instinct. Other than that, Bigfoot does keep to himself. Alex is the real monster in this movie. She's the one plotting and killing these women. And this is why I really enjoyed the movie. You know, I like the idea that it's misdirection. It's making you think that Bigfoot is the one who has something to do with these disappearances because Bigfoot did kill Haley in the beginning of the movie. But then you find out that Haley and Alex were in the car. It hit Bigfoot's child. Bigfoot at that point was just seeking revenge against the ones who killed their child. So in the end, you realize that Alex is the real monster. She's the one killing these women, brutally killing these women. Bigfoot has nothing to do with it. In fact, Bigfoot ends up saving Sylvia in the end. So like I said, this is what I like about the movie. You know, when I first started watching it, I thought I was getting a Bigfoot movie, you know, this big creature feature movie, but in actuality, it's more of a character study on Alex. And again, it just shows how brutal and monstrous humans can be. I hope that all makes sense. So anyways, I'm going to move on to my reviews. Voices from the Balcony states, overall, I was impressed with Monstrous and how it handles Sasquatch. This isn't your usual monster movie, and the creature isn't the usual dumb, violent killing machine. I was also impressed with S.H.I.E.L.D.'s script, which is an intelligently done piece centered around two LGBTQ women. Horror Obsessive says, In all honesty, there's not too much that I can say about Monstrous. It's a solid indie flick with a nice-looking Bigfoot that explores the idea of a, quote, you-never-really-know attitude. There's a lot of trust issues at play here, those being with both the film and the viewer. If you're going into Monstrous with the expectation of a Bigfoot creature feature, you might be a little salty by the end of it. If you can adjust your expectations and take it for what it is, you can definitely find some enjoyment from it. 
So overall, this movie is an intense, slow burn, psychological horror movie that asks the question, who's the real monster? Is it man or beast? This movie doesn't scare you with kills or a really cool like creature effect. This movie scares you with atmosphere and misdirection as we follow our central characters on their journey. If you're looking for a creature feature, this movie isn't going to satisfy that craving. But if you're looking for a psychological horror movie that sprinkles in a creature, then this is a great watch for you. You grow to care about Sylvia and Alex, while at the same time, you can't shake off the feeling that something isn't quite right with Alex, even though she does come off as fun and charming. But I will say, once you realize what's really going on, you're rooting for Bigfoot to save Sylvia and kick Alex's ass, which he does in an incredible head crush. If you haven't seen this movie, I suggest you check it out. Please give it a chance. It's a really good movie. It may be a slow burn, but that doesn't mean it doesn't deliver the goods. So I'm going to wrap it up for today. Thank you for joining me here on Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Again, I'm your host, Sarah Sin. Thank you for sticking around as I discuss horror history, psychology, and mental health within horror movies. Hope you enjoyed the show. Again, thank you for listening. And I just want to remind everybody that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy. So thank you. <laughs>